And now, coming at you from the Five Star Physique Studio in Knoxville, Tennessee, this is The Drop Set with your host, Darren Starr. So we'll kick things off today um, with a new poll that I have up on the website. It's been a little while. The old poll has been up there for a while. It's a little stale. I had to dust the cobwebs off of it to get the results. Um, but the question was, uh, as stated here, especially when you can't hear their sound in any way, should gyms have TVs? I was a little surprised by the results on this. It uh, was 63 to 37% in favor of no. I really thought it would be a little bit more of a dramatic no vote than that. So 63% said no, I don't need the distractions from those stupid TVs. And 37% said yes, it's a nice distraction. Understanding we're talking about solely a visual distraction that you can't hear in any way, which I think is weird. Um, I don't know. I, I'm going to I'm going to forego any judgment there. Um, but uh, it, uh, it it's interesting. Nonetheless, it's not what I was expecting. I figured, you know, if you're listening to this, you know, more hardcore, et cetera, like, no, get the TVs out of there. I mean, I, I, I wish there was a gym somewhere in town that did not have TVs. Um, I got a, uh, a note from uh, a client of mine, uh, David, who's down in uh, in Louisiana, and um, he, he sent me a picture um, of the, the new wall of distraction that they installed in his gym, and it's just a, a row, uh, an array of eight TVs, just all you know, two stacked uh, in in two rows, four columns, eight TVs here. Um, I don't know if any of these are playing sound. The captioning looks like it's on on all of them. So, um, yeah, total. And it's right above the dumbbell rack. Um, and there's a mirror here. I don't see any cardio equipment nearby. So it's just like, hey, you know, while you're actually working out and not just grinding away on cardio here, watch some TV. It's just so dumb, I, I find. So, okay, I am going to get judgy here. This is stupid. This is a trend that needs to go away. We do not need to be entertained all the damn time. Um, we all have a phone. If we really want to watch something, it's right there in our pocket when we're at the gym, having a giant TV on the wall, which is a forced distraction, I actually find to be kind of irresponsible um, as gym owners. You're basically saying, hey, you know what? We're going to adopt the planet fitness mentality here of, you know, we're just going to try and make this a, a fun atmosphere for, for, for people and forget it if you just want to put in some work. So um, we're going to distract you anyway, or we're going to attempt to. And if you can maintain your focus through this, kudos for you, but we're not catering to you. So I, I just, I hate it. It's, it's annoying. So there you go. I was just going to have a little poll question here, and then it turned into a big giant rant. Sorry about that. I can't help it. Um, there's a new poll up now. So, and this is just, uh, I would like to hear some stories that come from this one. So, um, the question is, and if you go to thedropset.com, it's right there, right at the very top. What's the most weekly cardio you've done during prep? Or, you know, maybe not if you're, if you're not prepping for a show, um, but uh, during a cut. So, the options are four hours per week or less, four to five hours per week, five to six, six to seven, or more than seven hours a week, meaning more than an hour a day. Um, so that's what I would like to hear. So I'd like to see where this split comes in. And then um, I want to hear your stories as well. And so as I always do, I'm going to beg for people to call me. Uh, we don't have a Q&A segment because uh, nobody has called me in weeks at this point. Um, I need to make sure that my Google voice number actually works. Someone want to test it for me, please? Uh, it's 865-518-2974. So when you go 
to the dropset.com and you go to vote on that poll. You click on your selection, you hit vote, it'll log it. And then you just scroll down. It talks about the podcast. There's a little picture there. And then the phone number is right below that. So um, on if you're viewing on your mobile device, it will recognize that as a phone number. It should be clickable. Click that, leave me a message, and uh, we can share, share your cardio horror stories or lack thereof. If you want to brag and you're like, yeah, I got down to 3% body fat and I only did three hours of cardio a week. So great. Leave your name and number and email address and street address and then people will come and hunt you down and kill you because they will hate you. So, um, But nonetheless, I would like to hear your story. So go to thedropset.com, vote on that and uh, and leave your notes, leave your horror stories as well. Um, quickly here, I'll get through my week, such as it has been. Been fine. Um, seeing some additional weird weight spikes. Nothing quite as dramatic as before. And this one followed a cheat meal. And you'd think like, well, yeah, you're going to gain weight after a cheat meal. I usually don't. Like the, the scale might go up a pound. Um, and that's just a prelude to dropping like a pound and a half the next day. Um, well, this time it went up like four and a half, five pounds. And it's been kind of hanging out there and steadily chipping down a little bit. But it, it's kind of weird. I don't have a good explanation for that. I'm doing a little bit of extra cardio this week to make up for for it for uh, per coach's orders. Um, macros are still up. Um, you know, they didn't adjust this last weekend. They haven't, uh, haven't come down further, I guess I could say. So basically this week is a repeat of last week. Um, just worked in a little bit of extra cardio as a double yesterday. So, um, everything's going fine. Diet's still on point. Um, no issues there. Uh, I did have a snafu on Monday. If you've seen on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, I posted a little bit about this. Um, I had an injury in the gym, which I think might be the first direct gym injury I've ever suffered. Like, you know, I've had little bouts of tendonitis here and there and that kind of stuff. And, you know, lower back tweak, um, which, kind of comes with a territory and honestly I'm, I'm just as likely to do that when I'm sleeping as I am anything any other time so um, this was uh, my left wrist I was doing seated lateral raises I was um, on like my third set I was going with 35 pounds it was feeling pretty good I had really good control um, wasn't uh, wasn't doing a whole lot of dramatic swinging or anything like that felt like I was in control the first two sets felt fine set three I grabbed the dumbbell in my left hand I'm like something feels a little weird here I don't know what it is oh well just felt like there was some added tension in my hand for whatever reason I did the first rep I'm like yeah that's kind of weird and the second rep snap <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just reflexively, I like had to throw the dumbbell down. I'm glad I didn't hit anybody with it because it kind of went flying a little bit. Um, I mean, it was it was fairly loud. I'm like, what the hell was that? <laughs> that is not good. And this is a hand that I had injured before. Um, I'll give you the brief story on that. So it was about 16 years ago. I lived in Oregon. I owned a house, and I was building a fence for that house, and I had a gas-powered one-man auger, which is designed to just drill holes into the ground for fence posts. Um, and so, you know, imagine it's like a big corkscrew um, that's attached to a motor that has two handles on it. It's a little, you know, tricky to handle. You'll, you'll get two-man augers, so you can it has um, two sets of handles, so one person can stand on each side of it. You'll get a trailer-mounted auger that you can just, you know, it's, it's on a trailer. You just roll it around with your truck. You drop it in place. You put a brake on it, and then it, you know, just, and you, that's that's the way to do it, realistically. <laughs> you want easy. That's easy. Um, so this is a one-man auger because, you know, I'm 
pretty much always a one man show. I do everything myself. And uh, this time I was I was going, I was I was uh, drilling holes. Everything was going well, and I hit a tree root, and the thing seized up and just yanked itself violently out of my hand. Um, my wrist swelled up dramatically um, overnight, like to about double the size. It looked it looked kind of like a ham. <laughs> it was like oh man, and you know, being at the time I was like 24, 25, I was an idiot. I didn't. I'm like well. Yeah, that really hurts, and it's really swollen, but, you know, we'll just kind of wait and see. And the swelling went down, and I don't even think I iced it or anything like that. I mean, that's how stupid I was. And uh, so the swelling went down, like, yeah, it's fine. And, like, 18 months later, um, it was still like, man, this is a problem. Like, in the gym, like, trying to do incline presses, that compressive force on the hand, I'm like, this is really, really uncomfortable. And there were days when it's like I had to, I had to stop what I was doing because it was just, you know, it, it was causing too much pain. And so I finally went to a hand specialist, and I, I will never forget, he gave me this look like, dude, you idiot. It, it's a little too late now, buddy. Uh, no, nothing's broken, but something's messed up in there. <laughs> so there's nothing we can do about it. So better luck next time is basically what he said. And I'm like, well, okay, well, that's deserved. Fine. Um, and then, you know, a little, little time passes, time passes. It's fine. And it's been fine ever since. I haven't had any issues with it. So my initial reaction was, well, this has got to be related to that. It's not, um, as far as they could tell. So um, I went to a, uh, I, I left the gym, um, had to run a couple quick errands, came home, did some work, did some research on walk-in orthopedic clinics, found one, went there. Um, they did some x-rays. X-rays were fine. She performed just a, a, a bunch of quick little tests, just testing range of motion, what hurts, you know, mobility, flexibility in the wrist, what can I do, et cetera. She's like, well, you've got full range of motion and full function of everything in your hand. Um, there's some pain associated with it, but it's not a full tear. You're looking at either a partial tear or a sprain. An MRI could tell us which, but the treatment's going to be the same. You just need rest, ice it, anti-inflammatories, keep it elevated. So I'm like, all right. And she said, no heavy lifting. <laughs> I looked at her, I'm like, but that's what I do. And she said, well, not now. It's not. And so I'm like, okay, boss, sure. Fingers crossed behind my back. But, you know, I mean, I understand that this is one of those things that uh, if it does, if it doesn't heal properly, I'm, I'm setting myself up for a bad time. So I'm being very cautious with it. Um, so later that day, actually, it, it hurt significantly throughout the day. Like typing was hard. Holding a pen was hard. Um, filling out the paperwork in the clinic um, was actually the hardest part of the day for me. It was, just, it was really painful. I had zero grip strength in that hand. Um, and then Tuesday rolled around. I wore my splint to the gym. I did legs and I modified the workout so I didn't have to hold anything. Um, it went fine. No issues there. And then yesterday I actually did back because I was thinking, well, you know, back is all about gripping and hand strength, but I use lifting straps for everything. So eh, that's probably the next best option. And I went and actually it felt great. And by the end of the day, um, it feels at this point, like it's about 90%. Um, so clearly it was a sprain and not a partial tear. And I've always been a very fast healer. So, um, um, that's uh, it appears to be what I'm looking at right now. So um, I do wear a splint with it. I do ice it regularly. I'm still taking anti-inflammatories. So just to kind of um, be on the safe side, uh, I think it's going to be fine. So today is arms. I suspect that will need a little bit more modification um, than back did yesterday. I may have to um, you know really dial back on some things, just skip some things maybe. Um, but I'll see if I can go in and get some work done and keep things comfortable. So don't worry. I'm very cautious. I mean, like I said, I've never suffered a gym-related injury because I am extremely cautious on everything. So the one thing that she did tell me when I went in for, into that clinic is let pain be your guide. And I'm kind of taking that as 
the overriding advice over everything else. So as long as it feels okay, I'm going to do it. And uh, like with back yesterday, I just slowed everything down. I went really light on stuff, but it still had a really good effective workout. So that's, uh, that's where I'm at there. Um, I suspect uh, we will be uh, okay going forward. So this is going to be a little bit of a grab bag today. There were our three um, little topics um, that I, I believe I've probably touched on these before, but I want to touch on them again. And then we're going to do a little bit of an Olympia recap. So um, we'll we'll do the grab bag segment of the of the show today first, and then we'll um, close out with the Olympia recap. I know I asked a poll on uh, on my Instagram story. I'm like, hey, who wants an Olympia recap this week? And it was about 75 25 the results. So I know there's some people who just don't care. Um, so I will save that towards the end. So once we get to that, you can just check out if you want. Or hey. You can listen. You might learn a few things. So, um, or you might not. You might be bored off your ass. That's entirely possible as well. So, I will let you be the judge of it, though. So, let's get down to it. Let's jump into this grab bag here and see what we got. All right. So, welcome to the uh, grab bag installment of the drop set here today. So, in this first segment, um, I'm going to touch on a few things that I've talked about before. And so, if you are avid listeners, first of all, thank you so much. You have no idea what I do without you. Um, but uh, some of these things will be familiar to you. But nonetheless, I think it's worth revisiting. And if you're new listening, you haven't gone through the hours and hours and hours of back content. First of all, I don't blame you. Second, don't because then I'll have a reason to repeat some of those things going forward. And man, listening back on some of those earlier episodes, it's a little rough. I mean, let's be clear. It's still a little rough, but some of those earlier ones are kind of hard to listen to. So, uh, you don't, don't go too back. Don't go back too deep into the archives there. So, (laughs) um, so three topics that I wanted to talk about here. Um, number one, and this applies to competitors, aspiring competitors, um, uh, first timers who are coming up on their first show. Uh, and it's a big one. Uh, go to a show if you haven't already. I mean, seriously, it, it's it's kind of like you know, would you uh, apply for a job if you had no idea what it entailed? Um, would you go to school for something that you'd had no clue about at all? And I realize that a lot of us have done that before. Um, you know, w- would you jump into a pool without knowing how warm or cold the water was first so you had some idea of what to expect? And sure, I mean, there's there might be some uh, adventurous element in that. As for me, no, no. Here's another question. Would you jump into a body of water without knowing how deep it was first? Okay, that, that's really what I'm getting at here. So you've got to know what you're getting into. If you want to get up on stage and compete, but you've never been to a show, you got to go. And it's not because you're going to see things there that are going to... Um, make you think, oh, maybe I don't want to do this. Uh, I mean, it's typically going to be quite the opposite. I mean, if it's something that you're considering, your mind is kind of wrapped around the work that goes into it, the kind of look that you're going for overall. Um, You know, maybe you're focused more on the process. Maybe you're focused more on the result. Um, But just going to a show and seeing how it's all put together. Now, keep in mind, that is the the actual show is the cherry on top of the whole process. So it is just, I mean, it, it it's the thing that everything's building to, but it's going to be over like that. I mean, it's quick. You know, it's it's one day, and granted, it's a slow day, but it's going to come and go, and it's going to be gone. You're going to be like, now what? So if you go in there and you've never gone to a show, the first show you go to is one that you are competing in. You're not going to experience it the same way. You're not going to have an idea of what's going on. Um, so. I recommend going to a show for a couple of different reasons. First of all, you go so that you can kind of get the lay of the land. Um, you can see, I mean, the, the first thing that surprises a lot of people, and this does not <clears throat> apply to all shows, um, but 
the vast majority of shows that you will go to, they have a morning component and an evening component. A lot of people don't know that. So they're like, I'm going to go to a show. I guess it's at 10. What, what's this? They're selling tickets for 6 o'clock too? What's going on there? I mean, you know, that's prejudging. That's finals. It, it is an all-day event with a giant break in between. So um, attending a show, I mean, you know, I would, for your first time, I mean, it depends on where it is, like how far you've got to travel. If you've got to go to a big city that you don't live in, I mean, make a day out of it. Go to prejudging, go see some stuff downtown, middle of the day, you know, grab some food, et cetera, and then come back for finals at night, maybe stay in town that night. I mean, you know, for something that you're going to be investing a lot of time and a lot of effort, a lot of energy, and yeah, a lot of money into getting ready for, it's good to experience a full show. Um, like start to finish prejudging and finals so you know what you are getting into. Um, and it's just seeing like, okay, how are they, how, how is the show being facilitated? How's it being run? What does it look like? Okay, there's a head judge at the table with a microphone. He's calling out all the puzzle poses. Man, they're going kind of quick here. Okay, these guys look rushed. It doesn't seem like anybody can hear the, the judge coming through the speakers. What's up with that? You'll see people on, on stage. Everybody's referenced by their numbers. Nobody has any idea what number they is. So when they call out number 72, number 77, trade places, and everybody's just standing around looking like a dumb shit. They don't know what's going on. Like, oh, that's me. And also, yeah, in a lot of venues there are audio issues and it's really hard to hear um, the judge from on stage because all of the sound system is geared towards presenting the audio to the audience not to necessarily to the people on stage so it can be hard to hear in some places also um, so you go for things like that just to notice how it's put together um, how it runs <clears throat> how efficient it is which certainly can be a little bit of a crapshoot and can change and <clears throat> excuse me, and can fluctuate a lot from one show to the next, um, just based on the the promoter, you know, how, how mature or uh, new the show is, etc. Another reason would be to really get an idea of the different divisions. There's only so much that you can gather from looking at photos and watching videos online of posing. But when you actually see it in person, get yourself a good seat up close so that you can actually see the people up on stage and make sure, like, if you're on the fence about what division you want to compete in, this will help you make a determination. Like, oh, you know what? I really thought I wanted to do um, figure, but after watching the show, I'm thinking physique might be more up my alley. I mean, you know, I'll have to spend some more time working to get there, but I think that's where I want to head. I had that conversation with a client just this week, actually, who went to a show this last weekend. So um, there's a lot that can be learned from going to a show. And I think it is a giant mistake if the first show you ever go to is your own. Um, and also, you go there, you see everybody up on stage, and it, it, you know, for, for most people, it's kind of a wake-up call like, I can do this but I better get to work. <laughs> I better step it up a little bit. I can see what, what it's going to take. And, you know, I'm working hard, but I think I just found a sixth gear to kick it into here. So um, it can kind of help um, re, uh, recalibrate your own little intensity scale there. So that's that's number one is if, if you are considering going, uh, if you're considering competing, you got to go to a show. Um, and if you don't know where they are, um, I mean, you can, you know, the first thing I would do is you've got two resources. You go to Google and type in the name of your state and then the letters NPC after it. You'll get a website that comes up and that will have a show schedule for things around you. And if you're on a, like a border, um, like for example, in Tennessee, if you're in Chattanooga down in, uh, 
you know, south, eastern, centralish part of the state. You can also check out Georgia. You can check out Alabama. They're right across the state line there. So um, you might find a show that's closer there, both in geography and in time, um, than something that's actually in your state. So, um, and then the other thing would be if you go to naturalbodybuildingevents.com, click on events by state, and you can see all the natural shows. Um, and again, check your state, check neighboring states if they're close by as well. So um, that would be how you find a show. All things uh, failing on that front. If you're having trouble, uh, email me. I can help you. I can, I can find you a show to go uh, to go check out in person. So that's number one. Go to a show. Number two, um, this is a big one. And it's becoming more and more of a priority for me to really kind of hammer this point home. And I'm being a little bit more aggressive about it and a little less tolerant about it with clients as well. Um, and that is a, a strategy for macronutrient planning. Um, what, uh, what, what I have found is, you know, it's, they, they call it IIFYM if it fits your macros or just flexible dieting, macronutrient based dieting. And people hear that and they automatically think, um, and I think, you know, it's been kind of programmed and some people can do this successfully that you just have different stuff every day, as long as it meets your numbers and you're cool. Um, I think that is a strategy that works reasonably well for the off season when precision doesn't matter quite as much. If you're off by a few grams here and there and eh, no big deal, um, pre-contest, it does not fly unless you are the kind of person who loves spending all day in my fitness pal and tweaking things like, okay, I need a quarter ounce less of this and I need 10 extra grams of this. And you're actually then going to follow through and make those measurement adjustments and hit your numbers exactly for the day. Um, it just doesn't work. It's too much time spent, um, and suddenly, you know, you've already got a meal prep, you've got to do cardio, you've got to go lift, you've got to do all of this crap, you've got to shower two and three times a day, and now you're going to spend um, another, what, 20, 30 minutes in MyFitnessPal over the course of a day playing Tetris with your macros just to make sure that everything works out. My experience has been that despite the best of intentions, most people don't do that. Um, instead they just say, oh, okay, well that's close enough. Or this is, you know, this is the meal I had yesterday at this slot. And you know, my numbers so far are a little bit different. It'll come out close enough. If you're in prep, if you're on a cut, that is simply not good enough. Um, if you're allowing yourself inaccuracies of seven, eight, 10 grams on a macro in either direction, it's just not precise enough because if I'm going to change your macros, it might be by that amount. And if you're consistently off by that amount, it's going to be really difficult to gauge how effective the changes are. Um, you've got to hold yourself to a higher standard. Um, precision matters. So um, the way that I always recommend people do it as kind of, kind of a baseline, and then you can adapt from here. You have a set of macros, and I keep referring back to episode 58. It's the only episode in the entire series, in the entire history of this podcast that I actually know by episode number what it was because I refer back to it in conversation all the time. Episode 58, where I built that meal plan based on my macros. I am still more or less following that exact same meal plan right now. That was back in July 12th. See, I even know the date. That's how often I reference this. Um, and it's currently September 21st. So um, now I have the ability to change that, but I'm going to be honest with you. I've made some some small adjustments just based on macronutrient tweaks. Tweaks, it's still working for me. Um, I still enjoy it. It's still easy. Um, you know, it's low maintenance. Um, it's enjoyable. So I, I don't feel the need to change it, although I can if I want to. Um, but you create a plan like that. And when you sit down and create that plan, you're going to spend the time to do it. And you know, that, that episode took a while to record and explain my thought process when I'm doing it now and I'm making adjustments, it takes me about five minutes to get everything within a gram of the targets. 
So if my protein target's 245, I can make a couple tweaks. It comes out to 246, close enough. I'm hitting 246 every single day, no exceptions. Um, the carbs come out within a gram or two. The fats come out within one gram just because fats are lower. So I want to be you know, spot on with that, even more accurate and hold myself to a higher standard than I do for the other two. And then I follow that plan. And then I'm not logging stuff every day. Suddenly it's a lot easier. I don't have to track my daily macros because, well, I did it. And so if I need to reference back, I just pull up my fitness pal and scroll back to July 12th. There are my numbers. If I forget what the portion sizes are, it's all spelled out right there. And then when I get a, a set of macro changes from my coach, I just copy the most recent day that I've logged um, up to the current day and then make the adjustments from there, get all the numbers tweaked again, and then go. And then I remember, okay, now September 22nd is the day of my new macros, and September 23rd is the day of my non-lifting day macros. So there's different number sets there. I do a separate meal plan for both of them, so I get a little bit of extra variety in that way. And then I just follow that, and it's so much easier. And then if I need to make a macronutrient substitution, I can, but I plan on following that plan exactly every single day. That really works for me. Now, if you are... Um, a mom who is stuck with the unenviable task of cooking for your entire family. You may find yourself in a situation where you need to prepare something different for yourself if you want to stick with that plan. Or you can adapt what you're making for everybody else and then you know portion it out for yourself differently. Yeah, I mean, that's going to require a little bit of additional work, but you've got the rest of the day planned out. So the idea is you have as much stability and as much sameness day to day as possible because you're going to have better consistency, better precision. Um, and then uh, it's going to be a lot easier to implement small changes um, and, and see how that works. So just based on, you know, statistical science, if your macros are all over the place and you're within like plus or minus 15 grams on things, you're going to experience from me as your coach, bigger swings in macro changes. Like instead of chopping away 10 grams here, I'm more likely to chop away 25 or 30. Um, just because I want to, I want to actually be able to see if there's a difference here. And you're also going to hear from me like, Hey, let's tighten that up. It's enough. You know, we're eight weeks out. We can't be having swings like that. We've got to be tighter than that. So, um, hold yourself to a higher standard on macros plan ahead. If you wake up on a given day and you don't already have a plan in place as far as what's going to be on the food agenda for that day, you have failed. And I know that sounds harsh, but if, and again, this applies to being on a cut. If you're in the off season, yeah, you can be a little bit more loosey goosey. That's okay. Um, but on a cut, you've just got to have it figured out ahead of time. You can't be winging it. Um, because you're going to experience greater fluctuations from the norm that are really acceptable. So that's number two. Number one, go to a show if you're planning on competing and you haven't gone to one before. Number two, uh, tighten up those macros and come in each day with the plan. Number three, I just wanted to talk about intensity and driving factors behind it in the gym. So this is geared more towards people who you know have some lifting experience but haven't been doing this for 10, 15, 20, 25 years. I think when you have, now clearly, I've seen people who have been lifting for a long time and still have no idea what intensity is. So um, the, the usual measure, um, and this is going to sound kind of judgy, but you can usually tell by looking at somebody if they understand what intensity is. Like if there's a dude who is 5'9", 210 pounds, and really lean, I'm going to say, all right, you know what? He probably gets it. <laughs> he probably understands what intensity is and he doesn't need a big lecture for me on this. Um, but nonetheless, I'm going to do some spot checks anyway, because regardless of how well he understands it, we can always crank it up another notch another few degrees. So, um, 
Now, if you've got somebody who is softer, doesn't have a lot of muscle definition, doesn't have a lot of density, has been lifting for a long time, I'm going to make the assumption that we have a lot more to learn and a lot more to pick up regarding intensity. So um, that's kind of the, the litmus test that I use. And, you know, clearly I have been proven wrong on that before. And some people just require a, a change in stimuli in order to really get their body responding. Sometimes it's diet. Um, it can be a confluence of things, hormones as well. So um, there can be a lot of factors at play here. All things being equal, though, just as far as like my default brain approach and what my assumptions are going to be, that's how I guide things. So, um, and you know, I've certainly seen people that I work with because I make a huge point to all of my clients. I'm like, video feedback is important. You know, the biggest difference between an online coach and an in-person coach is your in-person coach is watching you lift and they're helping you and they're they're you know finding ways to to get that intensity up higher where it needs to be. You know, that that becomes a, a driving point just because that is the thing that really drives everything in prep, everything in bodybuilding. It all starts with the intensity that you lift with. And if you've been listening to this, you've heard me say before that um, without the proper lifting intensity, even the best diet and the most well-executed meal plan and a ton of cardio is always going to yield unsatisfactory results. But when you step up that lifting intensity, everything else becomes more effective. So um, especially if you don't have a ton of experience under your belt in the gym, and by a ton, I mean like 10 years or more. Um, and you know, that clearly everybody runs on a different learning curve, but, um, it, I, I would say if you're, if you're less than 10 years, um, I, I know that we've, we've got some things to improve on. So, um, and again, sweeping generalizations here, but I'm, I'm trying to make some assumptions. <laughs> I'm, t I'm just telling you kind of how I approach things. And then, you know, as I said before, I've clearly been proven wrong a lot of times, um, in both directions, actually. I'm like, it's clearly this guy or gal has got to understand what intensity is because look at him or her. And then I see some things and I'm like, okay, clearly we're working off genetics here because there's, there isn't a big understanding of intensity here. I can tell. So let's really ratchet some things up or, you know, somebody where I will make the assumption like, Oh boy, I don't think they really get it. And then I see him lift. I'm like, actually, that's pretty good. I mean, we can still improve upon it, but yeah, yeah, okay, cool. So, intensity. What do I mean? What do I mean by that? Um, the the question comes up because I had this conversation with a client. I'm like, I just want to, you know, I want to focus on that intensity a little bit. Um, and so the response was, okay, like more weight. And I'm like, well, kinda, but it's complicated. So the the newer you are um, to lifting, the more appropriate the advice that you need to go up in weight. Um, the longer you've been at it, I would say often the reverse is true, that dialing the weight down and focusing on some other variables is more effective. So um, the biggest thing, the, the biggest cue for me, so again, I, I'm a giant pain in the ass to all of my clients all the time, like video, 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 I need it, come on, come on, give me some. Um, and I've got some clients that just never, never send me any. And I'm like, look, you are leaving potential results on the table. And all you have to do is next time you're in the gym, point the phone at yourself and hit the damn record button and send it to me. It ain't hard. Just do it. You're leaving potential results on the table. And if I can see what you're doing and get you some feedback, you're going to be in a lot better position. Um, so the first thing that I watch in, in the video, well, I don't know about first thing just because, you know, I can't control where my eyes go and what I focus on. But one of the main things that I watch is somebody's face. And I'll, uh, in, on, the, on my phone screen where I'm watching this, I'll put my hand over everything but their face and play a little game. And that game is lifting or reading. <laughs> does it look like this person is lifting something or does it look like they are reading a book? Um, 
And if, if I have to hesitate on that and I can't tell immediately, that's my first cue that intensity is off. So clearly, I understand that some people can just carry a more, a more stoic expression on your face. But if you're really, really working, like you're feeling those muscles fire, you're feeling the burn, etc., you aren't going to be able to hold it together on your face. That's my biggest thing. And so I, I will tell people that. And I also say, I don't need you to then put on an acting masterclass for me and show me, you know, how hard you can make it look like you're working. But just, you know, we, we need to push harder. And when we're there, I'll, I'll know just by seeing your face. So I'm still looking at everything else like form and mechanics because, I mean, those, those can be correct and your intensity can be great or non-existent. Um, so that, that's part of the equation. I need to make sure that we're doing it correctly. I need to see rep one versus the last rep. Do they look the same? If so, it's not a challenging enough weight because your form should probably break down through the end of the set. You should have to start using some compensations, but if you know, you're searching for 12 reps on a set and you're already, um, having your form break down by rep three, probably not a good sign. Um, so that, that's the main thing, but the, the way that the, my goodness, I'm turning into a yammering fool here. Where it all starts is mind-muscle connection and muscle activation. And so this is where the tie-in between posing and lifting comes from. So I'm a real pain in the ass. I mean, boy, this isn't really a good, uh, a good sales pitch for me as a coach when I keep talking about what a giant pain in the ass I am. But it's true, and I'm not going to apologize for it. Um, you know, I, I always think a good coach asks for a lot. <laughs> so, and they aren't, they aren't afraid to have their clients follow through and give it to them. So, um, I always tell people like, I don't care if you're competing or not, it's irrelevant. I want you to learn how to pose like a competitor because when you do that, you're learning mind muscle connection, you're learning muscle activation, you're improving body awareness and coordination. All of those things have a direct translation to lifting. If you can't flare your lats, you can't really activate them properly on a lift. Um, you can activate them, but not maximally not to their fullest extent. So driving intensity, it comes from muscle activation. It comes from finding an appropriate weight. And as I mentioned, the newer you are to lifting, the more likely it is that that appropriate weight is going to be heavier, especially on big compound moves. Like if you're doing lateral raises and if you're doing them with 10 pounds and your next option up is 15, well, that's a 50% jump in weight as your, your smallest possible increase. That's a toughie. Lateral raises are tricky. They're not a movement that's going to be super heavy. Um, especially if you're a smaller individual. So that's a bad example. But something like leg press, I see it all the time. And one thing that I always tell people is, yeah, that looks good. Range of motion looks good. Um, face, not seeing a whole lot. So we're going we're gonna to pile some weight on there. Like, that was hard. Yeah, but it wasn't hard enough. You know, you want those legs to respond. You got to work them a little bit harder than that. Um, and so we, I, I throw, you know, an, another plate on there. Um, and then they do that. I'm like, okay, we did it. That was a little harder, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But you didn't die, right? No, no. Okay. Let's throw another plate on there. And suddenly they were pushing 150 pounds and now they're pushing 400 and yeah, their body feels like it's going to break, but it's not. And they're still working. They're still pushing. And I'm able to squeeze some extra reps out of them. So a movement like that, a big, heavy compound lift like leg press where, you know, it's safe. You know, you don't need a spotter on leg press. All you need is the ability to shut out of your brain preconceptions about what you've done before and how appropriate of a weight that really is. So um, I, I would challenge everybody out there, especially if you're on the, the, the side of the spectrum more towards like a newer lifter. Um, challenge yourself on that because you can do more than you think, I promise. And I also promise you can do a lot more than you think. Um, 
just because a lot of people will think, oh, okay, leg press. So, oh man, I really feel this in my quads. Okay, well, can you activate your glutes and hamstrings a little bit more on those too? Because if you get all three of those muscle groups working together, suddenly you've got a lot more uh, capacity for force production there. You can push a lot more. You turn it into a, a true compound movement instead of a multi-joint movement where it's targeting primarily one muscle group. So you focus on activating everything. So this is where posing comes in. You know, how, how do you activate your glutes and hamstrings? Can you squeeze and flex those when you're just standing there posing for a photo? So it's all interconnected. It's all interconnected and you've got to practice all of these things. Um, reprogram your brain. Just wipe the slate clean as far as what you've done before or don't wipe it clean. You know, remember what you've done before, but push yourself to do more. Um, and, you know, when you go too far, you will know. Um, like if you, if you go for a curl and you can't get one rep because you went up on weight and now you can't move it. Okay. Well, we know that more weight is not necessarily the solution there, but making sure you get full range of motion, you know, your, your body is going to find a way to make things easier and you've got to make sure that you're always trying to make it each rep as hard as you can. So, um, none of these, uh, half curls where the weight comes all the way up and then your elbow never, um, extends past 90 degrees. Um, that is, that is what I call a crap rep. That doesn't count. If I was counting your reps, I'd be zero, 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 zero. Extend your elbow, zero, zero. Come on, come on. I mean, you got to straighten your elbow. And the bicep, <laughs> it works to flex the elbow. And if you're only giving it like 30% of its max range of motion, what the hell are you doing? Just straighten your elbow. I know it makes the movement harder. I know it makes it suck more. That is the damn point. Um, and then, you know, learn how to squeeze and flex the bicep at the top. So you bring it up and you don't just hold it there, but you actively squeeze and flex the muscle while it's contracting. So, um, that's a good little primer on intensity. I know I've talked about it before, but it's worth mentioning again. So again, number one, potential competitors go to a show. Number two, macro strategies. If you don't wake up with a plan, you have failed. And number three, Improving intensity, it starts with mind-muscle uh, awareness, body coordination, um, and then just you know pushing yourself and finding the most appropriate weight, which may be heavier, or if you've been doing this for a long time, you can potentially benefit a lot from going a little bit lighter. Follow Darren on Instagram at Darren underscore star to see client profiles, updated workout plans, and tips and tricks on training and nutrition. Okay, so let's talk Olympia just a little bit here. Um, so uh, this last uh, weekend, Friday, Saturday, so we're about a week removed from it now. Nothing like a nice and timely breakdown, right? Yeah, so um, was the uh, Olympia contest, and you know, if you've ever been to that or watched it, you know it covers the, you know, the gamut of pretty much everything. Um, there's just so much stuff to take in. If you go to the expo, there's just so many events happening. It's it's kind of a, I, I would consider it a mess. There's just too much stuff going on. Um, it's not anything that I would ever want to go to just because I can't stand crowds and I don't care how cool it is. I just, I couldn't hang with a crowd like that. It's just like too, too many damn people all in one place. So um, I'm comfortable just to sit back in my chair here and, uh, and assess. So we'll get to men's bodybuilding last because that's where all the discussion is coming from here. Um, just looking at everything else, um, a, a couple takeaway points. So um, I, I think the, the true fans or people who compete in a specific division are really the only ones that are really closely following men's physique, classic physique, or bikini. Um, I think so many of those physiques are largely interchangeable at this point, especially in bikini, where I think if you if you took the top 10 and um, chopped everybody's head off 
figuratively, not literally, um, and took away all the names and just jumbled them up and threw them out, threw them out, and you could just put them up on stage like that. I I think the the play scenes could be almost random, just about. So uh, you know, people have strengths, people have weaknesses. It's just something that's just so ridiculously subjective. Um, it, it's impossible to say. Well, you know, this person was clearly the winner. I mean, it's just no. It doesn't. doesn't it, it's that's the division that suffers from that issue the worst. Um, so, you know, men's physique, classic physique, they're always going to play second fiddle to bodybuilding, just like the 212 is always going to play second fiddle to bodybuilding as well. Um, so, I don't know. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on those. Uh, you know, if, if you're fans, go and check it out. I don't really have any issues um, with the way it shook out. You know, um, for men's physique, Jeremy Buendia was the reigning champion for three or four years. He took fourth, um, and deservedly so. I mean, he was he was off. He was not as sharp. So, um I don't think I would necessarily say that fourth place was kind. I think it's pretty appropriate. Um, no issues or, or complaints really with, with women's physique or figure and how those shook out, other than the fact that those two divisions, if you take the, the figure competitors and have them pose like women's physique competitors, there's a lot of crossover potential there. At the Olympia level, there needs to be a clear delineation between these divisions, and there isn't right now, especially if you look at just the quarter turns. Uh, very, very subtle. So um, it's it's really, really difficult to see where they're going with this, um, just based on the on the physiques that are winning here. So um, as far as the men go, um, so the the two twelves. I mean, Flex Lewis won the two twelves, which is appropriate. Um, he was by far the sharpest. There were a lot of other guys that uh, that came in and were just a little bit off. Um, like I was surprised to see uh, Jose Raymond, who took fifth. Um, just conditioning was off. wasn't there wasn't there, um, which is kind of sad to see because, you know, I've got a lot of respect for what he's done. But uh, I've, I've heard uh, rumors. I don't know if it's confirmed, but he'll be retiring after this. So I'm not sure on that. Um, as far as the, the open men, um, so the big thing here is that uh, Sean Roden um, beat Phil Heath, um, which was surprising. I looked at the photos on Friday um, after the judging, and I saw the two of them side by side. I'm like... Phil's going to win this, and it's going to really piss me off because they don't have the balls to give it to Sean. Um, because they should, because he is clearly superior. Um, I mean, it's not even close. Um, and so I was shocked when they actually took the bold move and did the right thing and gave him the trophy. Um, it was deserved, clearly. Um, he, he was the winner, and uh, I don't really think there should have been a whole lot of suspense or drama surrounding it. Um, Phil was off. His conditioning was off. If you look at um, photos of him in previous Olympias, his leg conditioning was off. He was holding a bunch of water, um, and his his midsection was just out of control. Um, and I, I've heard, I have not verified this independently by going to his social media accounts, and maybe it's not him directly, but it might be something that's put out by people associated with him that, uh, that was supposedly being um, blamed on his uh, hernia surgery and his stitches coming out. Well, that was, I'm pretty sure, like over a year ago. Um, so that's that's a non-factor at this point, unless he's dealing with some pretty extraordinary circumstances. So um, I'd be surprised. Um, and there were just so many other issues. And the problem with, with Phil, um, and to be clear, we're talking about, you know, we're, we're nitpicking. But when you're on the Olympia stage, you're there to be nitpicked. And that's all there is to it. So it, it's fair game. Um, the problem is he's been great for a lot of years. And I think in the lead up to this show, 
He pushed too hard to add size when he didn't need to. He had the size, um, and I think he just pushed a little too hard. I think the drugs catch up to you when you're when you're going that hard for that long, and uh, everybody's got an expiration date. And I think it could be. I mean, it could just be that his prep was off for some reason. But I have a really hard time doubting that based on his history and based on the level of focus that you know somebody like him is going to have going into this show. Um, I think it's just you know time catching up with him. He's getting up there. I think he's over 40, 42, something like that. Um, and certainly, you know, I'm I'm 40. What the hell am I? 41, maybe. Uh, I mean, I get it. <laughs> I don't compete at that level, um, but I get it. I mean, age, regardless of how good you take care of yourself, when you push at that kind of a level, yeah, it catches up with you. It sure does, for sure. Um, so, uh, Sean Roden, I mean, clear winner in, in my eyes. Not even close. Um, Raleigh Winkler took third. I think he should have been second. Actually, um, I think that the judges did the right move in having um, in, in putting Phil second. I, I don't think they had the balls to put him third, which is where I would have had him. And although, you know, William Banak, he came in fourth. I would have put him up against Phil as well. I mean, I don't necessarily care for his aesthetics as much, but he came in really sharp and conditioned. So, um, and then just rounding out uh, the the remainders of the of the guys in the top placements. Um, Big Ramey, I know he's a fan favorite. I know people like him, but man, if I may, dude does not have a pretty physique at all. It is a damn mess. I mean, the dude is huge, but he has no aesthetic, no proportion. Um, I, I don't think he has any business being in the top 10 of any Olympia for that reason alone. Um, I mean, it's just not, not a good look. Not a good look. I mean, bigger is not always better. He's the biggest dude up there, but God, what a mess. What a mess of a physique. Um, so not, not, uh, not my favorite look, not my favorite look. Um, so, uh, the, the thing that I find interesting about this as well, and so this is true at every pro show is that, uh, they, they place the top 15 and then everybody else is tied for 16th. Like they're afraid to say, okay, well you're 16th, you're 17th, you're 18th. You're 19th. Like, uh, come on. The, the score sheets are publicly available. We can see how these people finished. Why don't you just rank them all instead of saying, like, for women's physique, you had, what, like 10 women tie for 16th? Give me a break. You know, they're pros. They can take it. If they came in last, they, they you know, that, that can be, we can know who came in last, okay? Um, a couple other things. So the way that they score this is, again, as with all shows, um, the, the judging score sheets are simply um, a judge writing down what place they think each person deserves. So there's no transparency as far as the reasoning or the rationale behind it. For the biggest show in the world, I would expect a little bit more, um, but I would also expect then that the IFBB would appropriate that out towards all of their shows and not just save it for the biggest one. Score them on symmetry. Score them on size. Score them on conditioning. Score them on posing and presentation. Score them on everything that is a listed judging criteria. Um, and then do some math weight it, as I've talked before, plug it into a spreadsheet, and have it spit out a, a number, and there's your ranking. Um, so you could say, you know, you could determine at that point, you know, overall size counts for 50% of your score. Okay, well, shit, I better get big then. Or conditioning counts for 50% of your score. Okay, well, you know, I've got the size, but if I don't bring the sharpness, it doesn't matter. I mean, whatever it is, you can you can weight them, weight those variables however you like. Um, but just to... Uh, assign just a placing. Like, well, this person's first, this person's second. I mean, there, there's no reason why we should put up with that level of ambiguity and judging at the highest level. I want to see how the judges saw these guys in greater detail. 
I want to know. Um, and they, they need to they need to judge based on those numbers, and they need to publish them as well so that we can see them. Um, and then the, the other thing that I just found as a curiosity is, um, you know, only... I don't have the judging score sheet in front of me, but um, you know everybody's assigned a uh, score uh, based on you know the number of judges. So if everybody, if one guy gets first place um, by all the judges, and there are eight judges, then he'll score an eight for that round. So one point. Um, you know, second place is worth two points, et cetera. So it's kind of like golf where the low score wins. So you're judging through the score sheet, and there's all these guys with really low scores. And you're like, wait a second, why did he play solo? Why did he play solo? It's because they get scores at judging and at finals and if you don't make a certain threshold kind of like in golf if you don't make the cut you don't play rounds three and four so if you don't make the cut after judging in the olympia you don't come back for finals so um, they only had one score so somebody could have a pretty low score and and not be around because they didn't even get a final score so i was looking at that i'm like wait scratching my head what's going on here oh okay i get it so anyway I'm really glad that they made the right call and uh, and made made Sean the winner. It was deserved. Um, I, I really think that Raleigh should have been second um, and and Phil maybe third. Um, I think that would have been a bold move. Um, but I think uh, you know bold moves at this point are are what I think what it takes, what it's going to take to make bodybuilding relevant and restore a little credibility. You know, don't make bold moves for the sake of making bold moves. Make them because it's the right thing to do. Um, and if the reigning champ comes back the next year and takes fifth or sixth, you know what? If that's where he should be, then put him there. You know, I mean, he, he was clearly off. And I don't know that he needed to be fifth or sixth, but I would have had Raleigh ahead of him because I've been waiting for him and so many people have been waiting for him to bring it like fully all the way for a long time. And he really did this time. Um, he looked great. Looked great up there. So. Anyway, there is uh, there is your Olympia recap. So, um, again, relatively short and sweet. Um, you know, you can always go on to um, RX Muscle has a pretty good gallery for it. Muscular Development has a pretty good gallery for it as well. Um, so you can go and check out the photos, make your own judgment calls. Um, what do you think? Do you disagree with me? Am I totally off base? Am I smoking crack? Um, let me know. Give me a call. 865-518-2974. Give me a piece of your mind. Let me know what you're thinking. So that is it. I will sign off for this week. Um, don't forget, new poll up at thedropset.com. Click on over. Cast your vote. Tell me what you think. How much cardio is the most that you have done at a weekly maximum during prep? Um, and maybe not this prep, but a previous one. And then call and leave your uh, leave your horror stories or whatever, or brag about how little you've done. Um, and I'll play those on here as well. So once again, thank you, everybody, for listening. I appreciate it. I'll catch up with you next week.